Welcome to this week's episode of The Appetite, a podcast that explores one's appetite for life as it relates to food, body, and mental health. We are clinicians from Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, and I'm joined by the Opal founders, Dr. Lexi Giblin, Kara Bazzi, Julie Church. Over the last two episodes, we introduced ourselves through the lenses of radically open dialectical behavioral therapy and health at every size. Today, we're introducing a third tenet, also close to our hearts, sport and exercise. Therapist and co-founder Kara Bazzi is our point person today and brings her expertise as the director and creator of Opal's sport and exercise program. In this conversation, she introduces the idea that movement is our birthright. This idea breaks open the category of exercise and suggests that movement isn't just about getting fit, and therefore, it could be a place of actual great joy. You guys ready? I think so. Okay. So a huge part of reimagining one's relationship with their body is reimagining their relationship with movement and exercise. Yes. Um, And Kara, you have a probably pretty particular way of conceptualizing this. Yes. Can you kind of explain your paradigm? Yes. So we're going to go big picture today in today's podcast um, with this idea that movement is our birthright so that we are born with the right or the privilege to which a person is entitled by birth to move. Um, So it is just simply saying that because we are human, we are movers in the world. We're born movers. And we may have different types of limitations as movers, but each and every one of us are born to use our bodies in that way, which I think is really exciting and expansive, especially when we think about how that relates to us as adults. Um, but I want to start by just, I thought it'd be fun to kind of paint a picture of a scene on a playground with some kiddos, because a lot of us can relate to having children in our lives and what we can observe from kids moving um, that really have more, I would say, a more free relationship with their bodies and with moving. So think about, um, you know, a Sunday afternoon at a park, sunny outside, uh, maybe, you know, 20, 30 kids running around on a playground structure. And imagine you have, you know, a couple boys that have this fierce look on their face as they're playing tag and trying to catch the other kid. And you see the kind of competitive competitiveness and drive to get this kiddo. And then you imagine having this other um, boy maybe off to the side by himself and he's got a stick and he's kind of creating some kind of imaginary play with his stick. And then maybe there's a group of um, girls that are on the merry-go-round and they're socializing and laughing and enjoying pushing each other and going fast and Mm -hmm. going slow on that playground. And then you have maybe the kid that's in the sand pit and just totally focused on using the structure of the of the um, little machinery to dig for sand. Um, so I think it's, you know, a playground is an amazing picture to show how movers are all different. We have different tastes. We have different proclivities towards the way we want to move our body. And the sad part is, is that as we get older, some of that um, just natural way of moving into our body gets um, changed and uh, there's becomes more um, breaking of that trust with how our body would naturally move. And, you know, this is a conversation we ask our clients and have them explore is where did this natural way of moving get thwarted in your life? Um, where did you break trust? And 
You know, I think that's a really good question to ask, um, to ask ourselves is where did that happen is, and often the answers in from the clients are, gosh, it was really when some form or another external um, messages took over, whether that was numbers or being quantifiable, um, morality is, is a big one. Um, what maybe do you mean by morality, how would that play out? Just one way is better than the other. Mm, okay. You know, I think one of the big things with exercise is, um, which is really unfortunate is there's a, there's often a hierarchy, you know, athletes get revered in our culture and highly competitive, um, highly competitive athletes, people that exercise in a particular way. And we start to see that certain forms of activity get legitimized and others, mm -hmm. you know, people don't even consider movement. I think that's even one of those aha moments of, do you realize that gardening is movement? Doing what you love mm -hmm. is, can be movement. Um, and yet there's a lot of, you know, pressures and, and expectations about what, how you might end up developing and where you, where you might end up going. Um, and, and often that, that can come from parents, the pressure that can come from coaches that can come from school systems. Um, but where did this get thwarted? So I'm, I, I think that's a really interesting question and I'm curious even just by saying that for, for all of us in here, like what, what do you know about your own relationship with movement of where you'd say trust started to get broken about having to be a certain way to move and expectations being put on you versus mm. just naturally moving and living into that? Mm. Well, I, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Julie. I was just going to say, I think that it was really pretty early in middle school seeing social pressures. And I think some of that hierarchy of what was, you know, which sports were at the school that then was even offered to the girls and what was being affirmed to participate in, mm -hmm. I guess I would say. Um, and then I would say family too. So like a lot of strong family sport ties that then also pushed me sometimes to pursue that sport and sometimes to not pursue it. Mm -hmm. um, so. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, Kara, I was thinking about how you were talking about movement and defining movement. And then all of a sudden you started talking about exercise mm -hmm. and that word came into the picture. Totally. And uh, I, I thought about you as an artist, actually. Really? She was talking about that too. Well, yeah. the, the gardening example. Cause yeah. I was thinking, are you envisioning a canvas yes. <laughs> and the movement that comes along with a canvas as an artist, but totally. Anyways, yes. I mean, in a lot of ways, I would say that the idea of thinking about movement as a separate category was something mm. later on in life that I started thinking about. Um, I definitely knew that I needed to get things out of my body and I found art to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I remember using like a palette knife to paint and loving to kind of carve mm -hmm. into the canvas and have my arms all over the place and move toward the canvas and away mm -hmm. from it. But I didn't ever think about that as important in terms of my body. Right. I thought my body was supposed to just exercise. So mm -hmm. for me, I think that it was I probably started hating movement and my relationship to it was thwarted mm -hmm. around the time that I started realizing that my um, my <laughs> my role on the soccer team or my role on the basketball team didn't make the A team. I had to be on the B team mm -hmm. was just like I wasn't good enough yeah. or I loved something enough, but I didn't yeah. cut it yeah. or everyone else was really intense and competitive on the soccer field and I was – uh, not so great. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I was, I went to a small school and was, um, I was captain, but it was, ca I was captain for my character, definitely mm. not for my, <laughs> yes. my capability. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, it's so sad because a lot of it, we can get to the point where we would say, oh, that's really cool at this age, right? Of, right. of saying, oh, that's so cool that I got honored for my character, but as a kid. 
not no, so there's, cool. No, it's not so cool. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be the best, you know, it, the MVP is what's the, you know, most kids are trying to go for that. And I just think, you know, I coached my youngest daughter's soccer team and I had to do those awards. And, you know, mm. that was actually really hard um, to, I was so thoughtful about what awards I was going to give out to each of my um, my daughter's friends, including my daughter. And, and yet I hurt one of the girl's feelings mm. because... I what I thought was a really good trait to honor in her. It wasn't it was it didn't it wasn't about her soccer skill. And um that was really hard for that girl so that we had to have a follow-up conversation. Um oh, wow. But there's a lot there's a lot that gets expressed through through sport and exercise and a lot of um a lot of feelings and I think even talking about those different expressions we you know part of that is knowing that we're different from each other and I and I think that you know I think that's one of the challenges as parents um, is often if we can't recognize the ways we're different from our kids, then we might try to push our kids into what we value or something that we, um, you know, maybe didn't get expressed when we were younger. I know that certainly um, I think there was a little bit of that going on between my dad and I Mm. in my childhood. It is a really tricky thing to imagine. Um, just movement for the sake of movement and Mm -hmm. that being something that's not married to pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Not married to expectation or or even weight loss within this culture. Totally. Um, So yeah, it's easy for that to suddenly become this really, um, this hotbed of getting to play out a ton of different um, relational things or emotional things um, all on the soccer field or all running or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. One of the best conversations that we have in our rethinking exercise and sport process group at Opal is when we start to tie in the important human needs in relationship to exercise, movement, and sport. Um, and so much comes out of that conversation. And when I talk about important human needs, I'm talking about needs such as physical safety and security, friendship, attention of others. Um, respect, validation, nurturing, um, physically touching and being touched, sense of accomplishment, making a contribution, fun and play. And, you know, there's 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 more more uh, needs than that. But this idea of how many needs do get met through your relationship with movement. And I think when we when we're living into movement as our birthright, there's there's more openness and expansiveness to have a lot more needs getting met. And we start to see that when that trust gets broken, we start to get into more disordered relationship. Those human needs really start to shrink and there's very little needs being met um, in in relation to to sport or movement. Mm-hmm. What would you guys say in terms of Lexi? Well, I, I'm still back on the broken trust piece. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, I want to hear your answer. Yeah, because um, I'm not totally sh- clear on what that even means. Like broken trust with, um, say, so say more about it. Yeah, I think um, broken trust with claiming movement as our birthright. Okay. So tr- like losing trust in. So believing your- that you have to force kind of yourself into a particular way with movement because you won't just naturally be a mover. Like you don't believe it's kind of like the trust with the eating, right? So can I trust my body to respond to food and stop when I fall, eat when I'm hungry, nurturing yourself through through food, similarly nurturing ourselves 
through movement. Yeah. And where that, you know, kids, there's not thought about that. They often, I mean, I guess some kids get introduced um, <laughs> to some things that break some of that trust early on. But, you know, uh, for some kids, they just get to move how they feel free moving. Yeah. Um, so like trust would be broken when I start to have like more um, shoulds come in. Like yeah. I should be doing this. Right. So that's in, that in would those be, terms would mm-hmm. be. You're not necessarily following what your body's right. necessarily wanting yes, to do. To totally. do, you're more in your over control yes. with it. Like I should be doing yes. this, so I've got to check this box. Totally. Yeah. And where that shows up in expression of movement, often comes into a continuum of either avoiding it, uh-huh. um, or having more compulsive relationship with movement. Right. Yeah. So, um, oftentimes. Um, I mean, I would believe if somebody is avoiding movement really significantly, it's not because they just don't want to be moving. It's because there's probably some shoulds and a bunch of stuff going on mm-hmm. um, that uh, create the avoidance. Mm-hmm. So it can, yeah, it gets expressed in either of those ways. Yeah. Well, I right now I'm I'm dealing with an of an injury, mm-hmm. and wow, I yeah. it's so. It's it really highlights how much movement is a part, essential part of my life, and has yes. been since I was young, and how many of my needs get met through movement when mm-hmm. when you're at all compromised. And I don't know that I've ever dealt with it to this degree. Yeah. Um, so I'm feeling it's interesting we're talking about this today because I feel mm. more tender yes. around the subject yeah. today. Yeah. Um, but listening to all the you know it's just it's like even this moment of like. What worrying? What if? What if I'm compromised totally. the rest of my life? Yes. In mm. terms of movement, yes. what is that going to mean to me? Because yes. it's sport and athletics have been just cin- they're central to my identity and my my so many mm-hmm. things. So many needs are met. Totally. Connection. I f- I'm so feel so grateful. In recent years, I've I feel like I've gotten to I've gotten to be closer to my dad through my mm-hmm. my reengagement with. Um, cycling Mm -hmm. and that's just it's just such a yeah so I don't know I just I'm having a lot of emotion Mm -hmm. as we talk about this today Mm -hmm. which I would say is so um I mean that is actually one of we talk about injury and retirement and and in relation to this because oftentimes it's through being pulled away not at your own choice where this really gets highlighted of not Mm -hmm. recognizing how much goes into that relationship because there's, there's, yeah, I mean, it's just, these are those things that we don't talk about that much, which I love bringing this more to people's awareness because it is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And And you don't know your, your movement privilege until it gets threatened. Totally. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm encountering that for maybe one of, one of the first times in my life Mm -hmm. in a real way Totally, where it's really compromised. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's so interesting too, because then people have limitations. Maybe there's, Something gets brought on by an injury or, um, you know, other forms of limitations maybe that were over time. And 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 then there's almost a way of um, there's there's not often an allowance to go through the grief mm-hmm. and, and to go through the grief helps us get to the other uh, other side where we can find ways that our human needs can still be met through yeah. movement in a more limited way. But it's. um but, but that's difficult if, yeah, I mean, it, often, um, we don't allow ourselves to go through that grieving process. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I, I would see that somebody would repeatedly try, well, either think they'll never do it again because they can't do X activity right. ever again. Right. So then they're never going to have those needs met or they, and they just keep on trying to get the, what, the square peg in the round totally. hole or the round, mm-hmm. you know, right. that, that mix. And I, yeah, especially for somebody that would have 
an experience of connecting with all of those and having yes. a lot of those needs met. I think of people that might have maybe not, or I don't know how, how listeners might be listening to this that have have had limitations their whole life, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like significant limitations yes. physically. And I don't know yes. what you would, how you would speak to them yes. or in this conversation. Yes, we, so. we, that was actually a, a conversation we recently had where there was a reaction from the group coming up. Well, what about people who are not able-bodied and have severe physical limitation? And what does that mean that movement is their birthright when they don't? Yeah. What if they're quadriplegic? What if they're, you know, and, and someone actually in the group, another client talked about this beautiful story of someone who was a quadriplegic and had, um, you know, learned how to go about the world with um, their mouth and, and mm. using um, a paintbrush or something, I can't remember, to yeah. kind of orient themselves to, to their world. And um, that's movement. I mean, I think that I remember going so, so, so far with one of my clients at one point of talking about when you're pushing the elevator button, you are using movement, <laughs> like broad, broad. And I know I was being a little, you know, I was being provocative in that statement, but it's true. Like there's, we so quickly will disregard if it's not exercise, gym, running, CrossFit, you know, if it's not these mm -hmm. particular forms of movement, there's, there's often just, um, a discrediting. And I like the idea of just how can we, why do, why do we think that way? You know, asking those questions, where do we get there? And, and, and what, what, um, prevents us from having a more expansive idea of what movement is, mm. but sometimes it's because they're, they haven't gone through the grief mm -hmm. that they don't, that, that could be the barrier for mm -hmm. having a more, um, mm -hmm. expansive idea if they're stuck in, you know, anger and like, I will not despair. get that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm screwed, you know, mm -hmm. because grief updates our understanding of our new circumstances. So if you totally. don't go through that, yes. you're stuck in the in the totally. past in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Oh, yeah. and we see. I mean, one of the coolest things at Opal is we have this movement group, and we're we're doing all kinds of things like, you know, traditional sports like volleyball and basketball. But we're doing ping pong. We're doing Feldenkrai. We're doing paddle boarding. We're doing, um, gosh, dancing. We're doing all these different forms of um, bowling and we even know. did improv in there once. improv yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. all these incredible ways that we can engage in the world and it just opens up some creativity too of um yeah it might take a little bit more effort to to do those things but man when we when we open up our lens it's pretty exciting yes <laughs> i was just thinking too about how um a lot of the things that can be expressed in more traditional sports um, or exercise category, I don't think that they're necessarily as acceptable other places too. Yeah. Just thinking about being competitive or being aggressive, mm -hmm. um, especially for women, I think that that can be a place where it's like the only place you're allowed to get kind of rough yeah. or the only place mm -hmm. you're allowed to really get your energy out in a way oh, that's yeah. acceptable socially. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about what, what would happen if you were really thoughtful about pushing the elevator button or... Yeah. Again, that yeah. might be a little bit of a stretch, but like really thoughtful about being aggressive in the way that you were physically writing on a page mm -hmm. and letting yourself be embodied, mm -hmm. be embodied in that moment enough to get some aggression out. Yeah. Or, um, I don't know, like I mean, music, yeah, yeah, musicians, absolutely. Mm -hmm. like that's maybe a place where they could have yeah. more of that. Beethoven on the piano. I mean, yeah. Is that not <laughs> physical? Or yeah. What? Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Totally. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting that we limit ourselves to this very narrow category mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. actually we're always in a body the whole day. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. Oh, man. 
But I, lo- I do yeah. think of team in that though too, oh, and how yes. it teaches. I mean, I think that's one of the things when I support teams. Yes, and just like the benefits of collaboration and working together and learning from others and having leadership and knowing how to engage with an authority totally. figure and a leader and learning, just learning yes. from somebody that knows something better than you do. Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, that's uh, something that happens a lot with. Like the val, I think mm. in a parenting sense, coming back to that is the parents' desire for kids to learn in an environment like a team, right? <laughs> yeah, collaborative learning, and so yeah. I think that's one of the things I think that draws mm-hmm. maybe parents to put kids into those kinds of environments if they can't, mm-hmm. if their family environment doesn't offer mm-hmm. that, or but I, I'm not, I maybe my experience is limited because it has more of the sport focused collaboration no, and team environment yeah, but there's probably so other ways that there's that yeah. team that you could be a part music i think yeah, for yeah. sure allows for theater. team yeah. theater does that would be a big one huge yeah. one that with movement and team but i didn't do that yeah with our with our clients you know that are all 20s 30s 40s the the very similar story is a lot of them did youth sports yeah and then um and then you know and then didn't continue into sports in their adulthood um, and then often what they would, what they would do with their exercise and movement is then do something that's much more, um, isolative, right? Like a lot more, um, individual mm-hmm. of the gym mm-hmm. running or, <laughs> or probably the most common. And what I see from the human needs list is they had lots of these needs met through their youth sports. And then as they either retired or got injured or maybe even got more into their, to a more disordered place, then they would cluster around these needs of a sense of accomplishment, progress, and competency. Mm. And within that started kind of trickling over to this more compulsive side mm-hmm. of movement. And and then in that compulsive side, and it kind of shows up in eating, shows up in a lot of different ways, then sadly, it doesn't leave as much space for the other human needs to be met in their mm-hmm. life. So it has kind of this reverse mm-hmm. effect. Um mm. And so I think just shedding light on that is is really useful. Um, I just think there's uh, to have to have awareness of that going on, and then what is that? Wh- then then what? Right? Like then how how do you kind of move forward in both your relationship with movement and outside of movement when it comes to the needs? Mm-hmm. Thinking about how the, again, and we we talked about this with Hayes last week um, that. Well, actually, we've talked about it in every podcast so far. In some ways, a lot of these issues feel American, mm. like with RO kind of being over-controlled. We talked about that being um, like sort of an American thing. Maybe we talked about it less with Hayes. Anyway, um, I was thinking about that, those cluster of needs there, mm-hmm. that that feels like, again, this emphasis on performance and excellence and productivity mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. And if there's an overemphasis on that within our culture and we need to somehow figure out how to accomplish something, totally. we're feeling inadequate in all yes. these other ways because there's pressure to be mm-hmm. excellent um, or perfect, Yes, then then we take it out in our exercise totally. or we take it out on the food and don't get to easily have a sense of accomplishment in many other places. Mm-hmm. And of course, then that's also overemphasized and held as more important as other needs rather than connection and right. relaxation or right. pleasure. Or jo- pleasure. Yeah, pleasure is a big one that gets lost. Mm-hmm. This, that's actually a good lead into one of the things that I had wanted to share about um, where research fits into this and what we bring in to our work um, at Opal with our clients is kind of the, the research that backs up that it's actually the qualitative aspects 
of exercise that are um, related to disordered exercise um, instead of the quantitative. So when you think of quantitative, you think of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how much mode, intensity, frequency um, of your exercise. And the qualitative is how do we relate to those things? What are the psychological aspects? Um, and literature has shown that it's really, it's the qualitative part of the relationship with exercise that, that leads to the pathology, Mm. um, and compulsivity being kind of the, the culprit. And within that, and so we talk about these things at, at Opal, the four, um, main correlates are eating psychopathology, which is a fancy way of saying body shaping (laughs) or, um, as a means for compensating for eating food. Um, affect regulation. So a lot of times, you know, we know exercise is a stress relief, but if kind of, so to speak, if we put all our eggs in that one basket, that, that exercising is going to be the way to mediate, um, negative affect and that's fully relied upon, then that can be problematic. And then the third correlate is obsessive compulsiveness. And the fourth is perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So those are the, we're actually, um, targeting those four correlates as we're working with our clients, both in process groups and in individual exercise experientials, um, as, as the key things that lead someone to having a more compulsive or a more avoidant relationship to exercise. So, so one thing I think is always helpful to clarify. So you're saying somebody could be training for ultra endurance marathons and running 70 miles a week and, super, um, that is like, it takes up a lot of their time and attention Mm -hmm. and that in of itself wouldn't be disordered if the qualitative, if their, um, attitudes with food, their, um, I don't know. Perfectionism. Perfectionism. All those things. regulation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those things are in line. Like those things aren't getting interrupted in their life. They can be putting in ton of time and attention and resources into that exercise. Right. That is what I'm saying. <laughs> and yes, it could be that they're doing that and they're, you know, the qualitative part is also um, at play. But just because they're training for an ultra yeah. does not mean it's disordered. Yeah. And to go on the flip side, you could have somebody who is doing a five minute routine of abs every morning mm-hmm. that is disordered. It's five minutes, <laughs> but the way that they are approaching this little ab workout for five minutes mm-hmm. could be very disordered in the sense that it could be completely an obsessive process and perfectionistic. And, you know, if they don't do this ab workout, they could be a wreck, an emotional wreck for the rest yeah. of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how um, with on, within our line of work, like using the word disordered is really normal. Mm-hmm. And mm. thinking about how many magazines probably on the stands right now say something about a five minute workout. Oh, yeah. Um, like how normal that <laughs> yeah, is totally. and how um, you even had said that part of the qualitative is is an emphasis on body sculpting. Yeah. I mean, that would be kind of shocking maybe for mm-hmm. most people in this country to think that you're yes. not supposed to sculpt your body. Well, and so. I think a lot of people believe that <laughs> there are people that I would think that a lot of people would ser- believe that no one like how would yeah. I put it, mm-hmm. that nobody is exercising if they're not interested in body shaping. I know that might be a double negative, but <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. So they, if yeah. I were to say that body shaping is not at all a part of my experience with with movement, which is true, they wouldn't believe me. Mm-hmm. They would think I'm lying. Mm-hmm. 
because yeah. the belief is just, ever, of course, everyone is That's either there to maintain, lose, sculpt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, again, goes back to the idea that we are meant to be movers rather than exercisers. Yeah. Um, and exercise as a way of body sculpting or a way of mm-hmm. weight loss. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's kind of the common way to think about it. Um, is it is something to sort of reframe and think about, yeah. okay, why why do we need to move? Yeah. How do you actually restore your relationship mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. exercise and movement um, when you realize that it doesn't have to be about that? Yeah. This seems yeah. like a kind of a a dark wood. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, to ask the question through. if if there if you knew you could not change your body, period, what would you do to move your body? I love that question. Should we answer it? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> what would we do? Oh my gosh. If you knew that that anything you did wouldn't do a single thing, a single thing aesthetically. Mm. I've been thinking about um, my relationship to running recently, where I definitely did it compulsively at some point, mm-hmm. and I do it every once in a while now, um, but not a ton. And I keep fantasizing about mm-hmm. running right now, and I'm not listening to that for some reason, but I just keep fantasizing about running really, really fast, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> preferably through the woods, actually. That just sounds so nice. <laughs> This weather, this fall weather, and I just want to run really fast. Can I just yeah. bolt through? Yeah, it. and I and I probably would hurt my knee, but <laughs> if I didn't, <laughs> if I could work up to that. That mm. is exactly what I would want to do right now, for something about, yeah, for something in my spirit right now that feels mm-hmm. lacking. Mm-hmm. Like the rest of my life right now feels very stable, yeah, um, and very calm, which is lovely. But there's a part of me that like really wants to just move kind of the fast. wildness of yes. it too yeah and so it feels like this expression of mm-hmm. my desire for wildness and my desire to to be a little bit impulsive sometimes um yeah. in a way that feels like it lets me loose mm-hmm. um rather than i'm running away from something totally. so that is the thing that i'm thinking about right now mm-hmm. in terms of Fun. movement like what is it that my spirit needs yeah. to totally and often it's I mean, that actually goes all across the board. Sometimes mm. it is painting, like I mentioned, but um, but what you're listening to your hunger, you're listening to whatever is right. kind of deep within, right? Exactly. And what is an expression of that? It reminds me of yeah. um, this day. I'll call this was probably about a year ago, and we have a place up on Whidbey Island, and we were we finally made the ferry, and and me and the kids drove up. I, I don't remember where, if my husband was there, but. Um, I just was like, get me out on the beach. And I just <laughs> sprint on the beach. And the kids follow me and just we sprinting down, right? I think it was mm-hmm. the sun had set. It was still a little bit. You could still see outside, but the sun was setting. And it was just this. It reminded me like wild and free. <laughs> and yes. I, my body just wanted. Yes. It just craved that. Yep. And it felt so good. And then it was fun to have my kids both be um kind of in the same they were they loved it they just sprinted mm-hmm. after me and we ran down the end of the beach and our hair is you know wild and it's getting dark and oh mm-hmm. it felt so good yeah <laughs> oh, I love that I seem to be um it's interesting to think about this question because I think um what I would probably what I what I do what I have been doing is wanting to um kind of be free of any demands placed mm, on me totally. and I think exercise is a place that I can find that mm-hmm. you know I can go I can just go and and sense of, yeah that mm-hmm. sense of freedom yeah mm-hmm. and the almost like a, a, a altered consciousness mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I will start 
with one mood or one mindset, but then through it, somehow I shift and life feels suddenly like a different place. Mm -hmm. And so I often will crave the feeling that I will have after Mm. also. So there's, I can see how that is, those are places in my life that I uh, I'm lacking right now and mm, I can see how I'm trying to totally. get that in exercise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without any, that's, those are not motivated by, um, body shaping. Body shaping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can see how, so it's interesting to hear these different conversations about sport and I thinking about how much of life is mirrored in our sport and mm-hmm. our movement and vice versa. Like totally. it's just kind of a parallel. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of metaphor that's happening in our movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's interesting. Really- yeah. I, I, that was where I was going to share about what I would crave is at this point, there's a lot of limitations in my life mm-hmm. in regards to movement. But, um, right now the thing that I'm craving is to actually go into a gym, which is not an environment where I like to go, mm-hmm. but, um, YMCA, I'll give a shout out to the YMCA. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> cause I like the Y and the environment of it, but actually to be led. So mm-hmm. that same craving, I desire yeah. to be led. And I really totally. like going to these organized classes yes. and just be led through it. Yeah. Uh, it's le- much less mindless. And so that, that I, I love awesome. that. I do not want to go and try to think about where I'm going to go or what mm. I'm going to do or what apparatus I need. Yeah. Please tell me what to take from the shelves yes. and then give me a space. Tell me actually where to stand. I actually asked the woman last <laughs> I time it, I went Julie. in there. Where do you think I, where so would you great. like me? I've never been to this class. Where would you like me? Oh, I like that. <laughs> right in front of her, she said. Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's okay. so sweet. Yes, oh, my God. Great. I love it. I'd love to watch you and mirror you. Yes. But anyway, it's, so I would just crave. Yeah. And I, it's interesting to try to even answer that question in the state of mind I have around movement right now. Mm. Because it's like all the limitations come up. Yeah. All the barriers. All yeah. the reasons I can't. All the So it's right. not an easy. Because I, I, yeah, body sculpting isn't something. It's my, I've, been, I've done my work mm-hmm. to not have that be the motive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah, that yeah. kind of like what would you do if you weren't even Great. thinking about body sculpting that's I have so many other reasons why I don't go exercise totally. well and if you think of it yeah. kind of being the birth right so we're we're, we're born to move but our appetites are different our, the full yeah. picture is different of all yeah. the other things that we're attending to right so yeah. um, it could be that that's it does look I mean it does it's so individual it looks so different for different people yeah. and it might bring up grief and loss of not being able to have mm-hmm. To, to kind of mm-hmm. feast on the way that you'd want to mm-hmm. with, with movement. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, I want to do these things and kind of maybe deal with some of the, what would I say, the negative aspects of it, like having to go into a gym and the things about that that I don't like mm-hmm. um, to enable me to be able to be ready for ski season, to be with my kids mm-hmm. and my husband and enjoy the snow and go through the powder and not be totally wiped right. out. And so yeah. I, I think about that, like, okay, what will I – be able to deal with like what yeah. you know that I can I've done my work to be able to tolerate right <laughs> um in some of these environments but that that's just in my life right now these totally. are the limitations like I'm I probably need to use a gym totally mm-hmm. that's one so. thing about aging yeah I mean to have like part of doing things for particular reasons to be able to do other things yes. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and I think that's and not I, being a motivation yeah with our clients I think they do the things for those needs to be met and that's it Right. But I think of also like the process of some of the clients saying like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm going to do these things to be able to go on that hike. Mm-hmm. But there's that. freedom mm-hmm. in that yeah. because you're doing it for the the, for the mm-hmm. freedom or the independence yeah. or the ability to meet yeah. need yeah. in the other. Yeah. And if we're talking about movement as metaphor, then th- there are so many things in life that we have to tolerate and right. so many things mm-hmm. in life that we move through and get through mm-hmm. because we know there's something better on the other side for us. Mm-hmm. And 
to think that movement or anything else is just supposed to be about this mm-hmm. like huge blissful <laughs> impulse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um that's that's not if it's supposed to reflect yeah. all these different needs. Right. Right. Um yeah. or allow us to be met in all these different needs, mm-hmm. then it's gonna be hard sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Which I think is maybe not what everyone thinks of too when they imagine movement as birthright. Right. It would always be lovely. Right. Kind of like with food. Like right. if you're you don't have to have something perfect every time exactly. for it to exactly. be. Exactly. Sometimes you're okay. doing something for, like even with sport with food, right? Like you're having mechanical eating around mm-hmm. be, uh, around your performance or your um, your competition or your, your training. Yeah. Because you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of metaphor movement. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of um, probably the place where I had started really reclaiming different relationship, which was through dance, mm. which was shocking because I've never taken a dance class in my life. Yeah. Still haven't. Um, I've taken um, your dance class. You ha- Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I was going to talk about. So I've incredible, taught Carter. that, but I've never taken one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, when I was in um, college, there was a dance improv class that was offered, and I was thinking um, – I was thinking about it just because there was a resource on the syllabus that I thought was really cool. And I was like, I'll just try that. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And it was because I engaged for the first time this idea of metaphor mm-hmm. in our movement and being able to explore all these different therapeutic things mm-hmm. um, by moving. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Lexi, mm-hmm. you were talking about dancing in the dark, dancing which is what we dark. do with the yeah. clients, yeah. where we haven't done it in a long time. But Carter leads this amazing class. Mm-hmm. It was so moving. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that I started with some other students when I was in grad school around um, exploring um, what movement and dance had to do with therapy Mm -hmm. or how we could express one through the other. Yeah. And it became a place where suddenly you're describing your movement of what you just did for the 30 minutes in the dark Mm -hmm. with some music playing or maybe no music playing at all. Mm -hmm. And you're speaking some things about your needs. Um, you're using language that reflects kind of where you are, how you're reflecting to different or reflecting on different parts of your life or relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to hear everyone else's descriptions of what they're thinking about in terms Mm -hmm. of movement right now, because Mm -hmm. it's always Mm -hmm. a metaphor for something deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It always is. I always think, I mean, I, I'm such a sports fan and I get tearful when, you know, the team loses or yeah. the kick is missed. And and I, I assume that it touches on something really deep in us as a human, totally. right? It's not, there's yes. some, there's life that you're seeing in kind of um, a short little snippet yes. in, a, in an athlete's life that just touches mm-hmm. something deep for us. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I feel like you didn't say much, Kara, about kind of how you're exploring this right now in particular. Gosh, well, I this has been an exploration of mine since college. <laughs> I mean, I've gone through lots of iterations of mm. my own work around exercise. Um, Do you feel open to telling us a yeah. little bit? I mean, I was that? just thinking, I guess, about, um, I, you know, first and foremost, kind of my relationship with running, because I was, I've gone through so many different seasons where I came into it with um, a lot of freedom, and I would say uh, more in that birthright, trusted place. And then I was so, um, such a performance oriented kid though. Um, cause I just really wanted to please my dad. I think mm. that was like, I didn't, I don't know how well I, how aware I was of it at, at the time, but it, my sports were really about making my dad proud. And, um, I think basketball was the place that it really manifested. And so running was kind of the, th- the thing I did off to the side 
Um, but then, you know, of course I, I, I was able, I was able to run, um, at the collegiate level and it just became just this total, all, all it became was becoming competent and masterful. And, Mm -hmm. Um, trying to make my dad proud, trying to make my coach proud, um, and just doing whatever it took to be great, um, harming myself, you know, to do that. And it's just so sad <laughs> what I think of it now, but the beautiful mm-hmm. thing, and this actually answers, you know, oftentimes people ask the question, when you've been really disordered in a particular sport, can you come back? Like, can you ever do it again? Or do mm-hmm. you need to, um... Like, do you need to stop? Um, is that, is, are you never going to be able to reclaim that? And I didn't know, you know, I did a lot of that journey on my own, to be honest. Um, and, but I was pretty determined to see if I could heal that relationship. And, you know, it's, 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 it makes me actually feel kind of emotional to think about it even right now in the way that I have been able to reclaim, not only reclaim it, but, just have such a breadth of experience um, with with that particular sport where it can be something I can flexibly move from being super uber competitive because I'm still a very competitive person <laughs> and I can train and try to have a badass race. <laughs> I can run super, super slow with my daughter to just connect with her and to um, enjoy, uh, nature and talk with her. Um, I can go out in the morning by myself and use it as time to contemplate and to think and to pray. I can, um, go with a group of friends for connection and, um, processing and catching up. Um, so it just has all these iterations of it that, um, I can kind of move in and out of. Um, and I feel really grateful, for, for that. Um, and there's times that, you know, I'm, I'm not able, I'm limited and I'm not getting out there as much as I want to. And I feel disappointed and sad with that. And then that's, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, Mm. you know, I, I didn't know that I didn't know if I'd ever be able to reclaim it that way and, and, and move away from, um, you know, a really disordered relationship where I did it for all of those things at one point for shaping, for affect regulation, perfectionism, OCD, all of that was in my relationship mm-hmm. with running. So, I mean, that is, I think that's one of the reasons this particular podcast is so exciting to me is that, that I just, there's a lot of hope, um, if for, for, for people to, to heal and in that particular way in their movement and, um, not that anyone has to, I mean, I think if I would have come to a point where I was like, I don't like running, I could have left mm-hmm. it, but I love it. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. And then I've added basketball into, I love basketball to get out some aggression. Yeah, Opal Owls, Opal Owls. <laughs> yeah play with a team oh, again. Oh, you guys have a team. Oh, it's so Owls. great. I'm sorry. I don't remember. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Little local park and rec. Good so great. And then to Julie's point, you know, I think I've recently taken some I've I've taken some fitness classes to get some strength in my hip flexors and places that um I just need to build strength to stay with my running. And I don't love fit. I don't love those class I don't love engaging in that. There is li- I feel some of the limitations um of things I kind of have to tolerate mm-hmm. uh to be in that, but I do it for kind of to take care of my body, to mm-hmm. take care of some of the ways that it's changed with, with aging. And so, um, I see it in a whole different way, mm-hmm. that type of movement. Yeah. I was thinking about that as, um, self-care, that phrase gets passed around all the time. And mm-hmm. I, sometimes it honestly bothers me a little bit because it just sounds like 
just about bathtubs and bubble baths and really sweet stuff. But like self-care can also be showing up and doing fitness stuff for your hip flexors because you know that it matters for you. Totally. It's like my PT. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Showing up to something that puts in some time and and strengthens your relationship to yourself or to your body in whatever form that takes. Totally. Mm -hmm. Really important. I don't know if it'd be okay to go back to this, but in when you were sharing, Kara, it's I connect to the whys of um, our programming around mm-hmm. the exercise and sport mm-hmm. program at Opal, and why it is that then we allow for the clients to mm-hmm. move. Totally, um, because it's like okay, well, how we want to be in that. You yes. know, you did so much of that on your own yes. in your own recovery process, yes. but then we we see it as such a rich time to be with our clients and to be able to hear all the things that they're having hopelessness about and hope mm-hmm. about and the, all the metaphor and all the things that come out in that. So I yeah. don't know if you want to share more about that, but I just wanted to make sure to say that because yes. I just think that that is such a key thing that is honestly controversial in the eating disorder treatment world um, as Can if people why? should. Well, it, people yeah. People that don't know much about why people would or wouldn't move. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of saying, well, you know, even though it's a birthright, not everyone thinks that, right? So it's like, well, this is something that somebody can stop doing. When they're pursuing eating disorder recovery, if exercise has been a problem, well, let's just eliminate that. And then they'll have to just focus on eating, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's just been more concern around if you allow for somebody to continue to exercise as they're pursuing eating disorder recovery, that that would impede on their nutritional recovery or mm-hmm. their mental and emotional mm-hmm. energy and their recovery. Um, right. I don't know if you'd add anything else, but that that is a lot of yeah. the concern, the mm-hmm. controversy and – we just found that people were doing it anyways, right? So we're in a right. PHP setting, so they're going to do it before 8 a.m. and after mm-hmm. 6 p.m. So we might as well talk about what they're doing yes. um, and maybe do some of it with them. <laughs> and research now suggests that that, that um, it's going to have better treatment results to allow people to participate in movement as mm-hmm. part of higher level of care eating disorder treatment. Um, so we're now following what research is proving (laughs) (laughs) by allowing people to do that. But if you think about it, if we don't touch that, that's an important part of their life. It's a birthright. It's a part of just being that if we're not interacting with it and talking about it and working with it in an embodied way, we're missing a, we're we're missing a huge opportunity. Huge, huge, huge and we'd opportunity. we'd be pulling a potentially really joyful part of their lives. Yes. I mean, you know, that might totally. be life-giving to them. Totally. Mm-hmm. In the long run and serve their recovery quite well. Yes. It mm-hmm. can be motivating. Yes. It brings recover. up, yeah, I mean, it brings up to the identity piece. Yeah. Identity as an athlete, identity as a mover. Um, you know, that could be something really integral in, in one's identity. And so um, to honor that, to understand it, to respect it. And if we don't get it, to ask questions. I mean, I think that's, mm. that. I would say that's the gift that, the, the biggest gift I can I can bring is to to understand someone, to understand kind of instead of making assumptions. Mm. And I think that's huge when it comes to athlete identity. And a lot of times why athletes are afraid to get treatment is they don't think that, mm-hmm. you know, a, a treatment providers will understand them mm-hmm. and understand that that massive part of their identity. Mm-hmm. So it's important, really yeah. important to, to respect that. Mm-hmm. What kinds of questions do you ask mm. about it? About so, identity? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, I was just even thinking, um, gosh, all the ways that even things are different. Well, athletes, different between yeah. sports. Like mm-hmm. me as a runner is different than, um, you know, this client as a gymnast. Let me understand gym- gymnastics, the sport. Let me understand gymnastics in the context of the way that you were raised mm-hmm. with your particular um, school experience or club experience. Um, 
there's so much to understand kind about cross cultural. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. right in a way. Totally. Um, kind of yeah, big big level to small level, right? Like, <laughs> um, in terms of the communities they've been a part of, and mm-hmm. then and then their own internal world and their own mm-hmm. community, their own um, identity, the way they see their their identity internally. Um, we do we have that we do that lesson um, where we look at yeah internal identity versus external identity how do other people see them as an athlete or a mover how do they see themselves um how have they seen themselves across time um past and and present and and what they want in the future and are there discrepancies um desired identity um and why is there a gap between what they are now and in their desired identity so there's just Mm -hmm. lots of ways to interact with it to understand um these unique differences between between people Mm. I love that list of questions. Mm. I was thinking earlier about the um, the needs list and wondering, maybe for myself for sure, and then also for clients and for everyone that moves, mm-hmm. um, when you're healing your relationship with movement, um, I think that it, it seems like it can be really easy to suddenly understand, oh my gosh, this has been serving all these needs for me. Mm-hmm. Let me figure out how to kind of start getting those needs met elsewhere. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. So it's all projected onto mm-hmm. basketball. Yeah. Let me now try and figure out how to balance my life out some more yes. and actually make some friends that aren't related to basketball totally. or um be excellent at some other thing. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I've know that I've done this before. I've suddenly gotten those needs met elsewhere and then mm-hmm. like, well why did why move? Mm-hmm. Why move still? Mm-hmm. Um or how do I have an imagination? I feel like we've talked about that some mm-hmm. um, in terms of what do we each individually need right now and how mm-hmm. is that being reflected in movement. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if you have more to say about kind of that avoidance all of a sudden and, and what mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've focused more on the compulsion part of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, I just think it's a lot of um, curiosity and experimentation, because if, if someone then would kind of go to the other way of, gosh, I have all these needs met elsewhere. Um, I don't feel any interest in moving Mm -hmm. with the basic assumption that we're born to move. I'd be curious about that. Well, um, uh, I would, I would, I think that would be, let's, um, I think the assumption is, is that there's going to be an appetite for moving. It might not be that it might not be as big as, yeah, yourself, right? Like, um, in comparison, but that's the basic assumption I'm going to use. So if, if somebody is not, if they're, if they're, you know, I mean, if, if they're actively avoiding movement, um, I would just, again, be, be digging and understanding a little bit more because often the, the avoidance is a reactivity to something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I think of needs getting met through sport, one of the things I think it gets tricky is, well, you can see if it gets, if, if only a couple of them are getting met through sport, you might want to be thinking of expanding more needs within, within sport. It could be looking at having needs met outside of sport. A lot of it diversifying helps, right? right? Not having all of our eggs in one basket helps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought on that, but, um, I, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. Diversifying though the where you're getting your needs met mm-hmm. um, 
can be a way to kind of rethink. Yeah, not have the avoidance happen maybe too. And I remember what I was going to say. The one thing too about sport is you get injured, right? And then that takes you out of it. And so Mm -hmm. when we're we're thinking about needs, um, it also helps to think of how do we establish some of those things that aren't external or performance oriented. Mm -hmm. Identity too. Um, identity and needs being met so that there are some kind of stakes in the ground that that wouldn't be stripped away by performance being gone. So whether that's in in acad- academia or sports or theater or um, if if that gets taken away, what are things kind of um, kind of relationally or internally that um, kind of meet uh, meet the needs or mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. are composed of our identity that can provide some stability. Mm-hmm. We did a little identity um, exploration in our uh, this body image uh, talk that we did with uh, these fourth grade, fourth, fifth, fourth and fifth oh. grade girls and how they, they did a lot of different little clusters of where identity can come from mm. um, so you, that you can see you can get identity from so many different parts of your life. And the idea is that, that it makes your identity really strong because if one gets pulled for some reason, then you have a lot more. Mm. parts of your identity yes. to keep right. it strong yeah. and this yeah. is a craft this... project in line with that sorry <laughs> yeah. yeah i love that this is bringing up um kara in my mind radically open dialectical behavioral therapy and kara and i have we're gonna we're working on kind of the overlap between rodbt over control and um and athletes mm-hmm. in particular and how um probably a lot of athletes are over-controlled, mm-hmm. um, high, high achieving athletes mm-hmm. because OOC mm-hmm. will serve them quite well in their sport, totally. um, in all kinds of ways. Um, and just thinking about from an RODBT framework, we would think about connection, mm-hmm. you know, is, is the sport taking precedent over connection? Mm-hmm. Is there true vulnerability happening? Right. Is, is the person openly expressing and finding authentic connection? Mm-hmm. Um, or is the is the sport um, kind of taking over mm-hmm. over their world? Right, yeah. right. And again, that would go into to the the differences between team culture, yeah. and some team cultures might be open to vulnerability and expression of a more open um, human existence, and some would be <laughs> more judgmental of more that, perfectionistic, and perfectionistic, yeah. and closed off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the hard things with with athletes is. The, the limitation of time because often it's hard to explore when you're in the midst of sport and school, you know, for a student athlete, it's mm-hmm. hard to do experimentation and, and to build communities outside, outside of that, literally for the limitation of time. I mean, I remember my coach said, um, oh, what, what was this famous line? You can only do, you're, you're a student, you're an athlete and you're, um, you know, a social being and you can only do two of the three well or something wow. like that. And I remember him telling me that <laughs> you can only mm. do two of the three well, cause we don't have, yeah. you know, have enough time. all this, all the time in the world. So mm. I think that's a real limitation and, and difficulty of, of athletes having the ability to do some of that development, um, while they're in sport, which is why I feel so interested in supporting coaches, because if they can do it in the context of sport, um, mm. you know, for coaches to to give the message that this this is important, this work is important. It's important to develop the athlete um, in, in these particular ways so that they're more ready when they're retired, mm. where they're more ready if they get injured. Um, and won't that help sport performance too? Yes. Right, <laughs> Yes. So at the inner athletes in me is, th- yes. is thinking like, Her, it if will. I am doing, if I'm feeling Man. 
filled up in all aspects of my life, I'm going to rock it yes. on the court. You know? Yes, mental health. So that's health interesting that part of coaches would think that way from yes. a sports psychology point I know, right? <laughs> I know. And it yeah. is some, some get it and some it's a tough sell. Um, but I, I mean, I can't say that enough. I think mental health, even if you have super genetic talent and great work, work ethic, you know, I mean, mental health is a big component. It can, uh, you know, it can, it can harm performance. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> Gets me excited. And I mean, I do when think... you're feeling connected to your tribe and your team, like your, mm. your performance is going to be mm. yeah so much stronger, right? Yeah. Mm. Mm. I was just thinking the opposite for myself. I was always better at at, at this horrid soccer team. (laughs) It was fine. I was always better when I was angry, Mm. you know, which is interesting. Like the, again, with these needs being met that Mm. if I'm like really happy, I feel like maybe I would do something else (laughs) other than soccer. Mm. Right. But like maybe again, that was not my thing um, Mm. to be doing, Mm. but these Mm. needs are so different for everybody. Yeah. And if, I was probably more connected on the team. I'd probably want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thinking about 15-year-old I, me. <laughs> I, ha- I have this one other thing that might become a whole different podcast. So maybe I'll just leave it there and bring it up later? Or are we actually... What is I don't it? know. Well, it's just thinking that the listener might... Be thinking, okay, you haven't talked one thing about why people exercise for health. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that people do exercise for health and is like, I don't know, the birthright piece. There's a, from my standpoint, being the dietitian that does yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. attunement work. Totally. Like there is a reason that we are, we have attunement skills in our own body, our own food and body wisdom mm-hmm. that moves us to then eat and nourish ourselves. And I think in the same way, this birthright concept is that same, like, it's out of that that we become well. Yeah. Is that birthright. It's the same sort of overflow of attunement um, into the movement world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think most people think about movement and exercise and that that benefits health just because it's an overflow of someone being well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think people see more that you move, therefore you're well. But if you are sedentary, you will not be well. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, totally. it feels like... That, yeah. Doesn't that feel... Um, like a combo with something you want to do in the future with the haze topic too. Yeah, well, I mean, we could talk. Yeah, I don't be, know. Yeah, I just no, was I thinking, think like, one. what yeah. would you say to the listener that's like, okay, this is all fine and good, and I exercise to take care of my body to be well and healthy, mm-hmm. and that is my strongest motivator, and that's what people do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, yeah. there's so many different offshoots of that. that I, know. I think we could get into, but at this point, I'm thinking like with with the yeah. avoidance of exercise. I think there's an assumption that if we didn't feel forced to eat well right. or if we didn't feel that we forced, wouldn't do it. Right. Yeah. But, but we have if to you're be in fear, that goes back yep. to yeah. that what breaks our trust. Well, it's going to be fear based. Gosh, right. well, if I don't do it, do I'm going to die. die. I know. Right. But if you're really, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. If you're really attuned yeah. to yourself, yes. you don't really want to sit on the couch all yeah, day. Probably. I know. Exactly. And maybe there are some limitations. Or maybe you do some days. Some days. Oh, some days. But, but, Every it's, big, day? but it's big picture, right? No. It's right. like yeah. that's where people. I think there's this fear that I'll never want to move again and I'm going to be on the couch all day, all, every day for the no. rest of my life. That's just not the way we're born. Yeah. We're not, we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not. Even if you're really super sick for a week and you're on the couch, you eventually, if you get start getting better, which we hope that you do, mm-hmm. you start <laughs> saying, oh, I think I want to go for a walk. Yeah. Oh, I think I could walk to the kitchen or yeah. I could walk down the block or whatever. Yeah. Uh, your body starts reacting to the thing that it's been doing right. for a week, which was the couch. And then it. Right. 
it balances things and out. And just to say, for because I think this is important for listeners to hear, if you have a more compulsive relationship to exercise, the pendulum does often swing in the opposite direction mm-hmm. where there is a pretty significant mm-hmm. avoidance, but mm-hmm. it goes back. It, it does back. not stay right. on that side. And I think there's so much fear of, oh my gosh, now I don't want to move at all. I have no interest. I am... Right. Oh, this is really scary. I'm never going to want to do it again. And I'm so lazy. lazy. There's so much fear around that end that there's not the belief that it can go back Mm -hmm. to the end and Mm -hmm. find that balance. And I think um, I I just, I have a lot of trust that it does. Yeah. A lot of trust that it does. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. so too. Mm -hmm. It's like introducing foods back in, right? I mean, it's. Yeah. Right. I think it's like the, this inner work around what needs are being met, but that there's also sort of the sense of like what motivates one. Right. To move. And I think that's like, no, there's a combination of probably both Mm -hmm. that then won't have somebody stay on the couch Mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're tending to your mental health, too, Mm -hmm. once you start wanting to move and you can't do it perfectly, you hopefully are dealing with whatever Mm -hmm. shame comes Mm -hmm. up from that or whatever emotion comes up from that. And then you figure out some way to engage still. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's fun to talk about. I know. There's lots more. I know. More to come. Lots of sports and exercise (laughs) podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation around movement as birthright. You're going to find just one extra little thing at the end of these thank yous. So make sure you stay around for that. But first, thank you to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites music, and to Opal's Sarah Taylor for production assistance and editing. You can find more episodes and subscribe to The Appetite on iTunes. Learn more about Opal at opalfoodandbody.com and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. This is adapted from The Eater's Agreement, created by Mark David, founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. Kara loved it so much that she just adapted it slightly, replacing the word eater with mover, becoming the mover's agreement. I hereby agree, from this day forward, to fully participate in life on Earth. I agree to inhabit the appropriate vehicle for such participation, a body. As a requisite for the sustaining of that body and of the life that dwells therein, I agree to be a mover. This agreement fully binds me for the duration of my stay on Earth. As a mover, I agree to move. I agree to have a body that needs movement. I recognize that as the biological need to move is fulfilled with greater awareness and efficiency, the benefits of my well-being will increase. I further acknowledge that ignorance of the movement process may cause undesirable consequences. Because the essence of my participation in life is one of learning and exploration, I agree to experience uncertainty as a mover. I recognize there are a great variety of movements to choose from, and I may not know which to participate in. I may have a choice of different movement approaches and not know which to follow. I may have an assortment of habits and not know how to manage them. I recognize that my relationship with movement is a learning process, and I will inevitably make mistakes. Therefore, as a mover, I agree to accept my humanness and learn as I go along. 
I acknowledge that as the body changes from infancy to old age, so will the movement process change. I recognize that my body may call for different types of movement as the days, seasons, and years progress. My movement needs will also shift in accord with changes in my lifestyle and environment. I understand that there is no one perfect movement plan. As a mover, I accept pain. I recognize that I may suffer pain when the body is disturbed by my choice of movement or exercise habits. I may also experience pain when emotional and spiritual hungers are confused with movement hunger. I further understand that moving to cure a pain that cannot be remedied by moving may bring even more pain. I further agree to accept a body that is imperfect and vulnerable, that naturally decays with the passage of time. I recognize there will be moments when I am incapable of caring for myself. I agree, then, to live in a body is to need the help of others. I also agree to be vulnerable as a mover. I acknowledge that I will be helpless as an infant and will need to be given opportunities to move. I may be equally helpless when I am old and unwell. Therefore, as a mover, I agree to be nourished by others. As a mover, I acknowledge the, the domain of the sacred. I recognize that the act of moving may be ritualized and inspired. It may be given symbolic meanings that are religious or spiritual in nature. It may even be joyous. I further agree that moving is an activity that joins me with all humanity. I recognize that to be a mover is to be accountable for the care of the earth and its resources. I acknowledge that despite our differences, we are all ultimately nourished by the same source. As such, I agree to share. I recognize that at its deepest level, moving is an affirmation of life. Each time I move, I agree somewhere inside to continue life on earth. I acknowledge that this choice to move is a fundamental act of love and nourishment, a true celebration of my existence. As a human being on earth, I agree to be a mover. I choose life again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> 